Welcome to Delegate. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. For this week's news recap, we're getting our information from the boardroom.io newsletter. Every week, they put out some of the top information, the latest and greatest around governance proposals. Make sure that you are signed up and tuning in. And also, we are proudly sponsored by Boardroom. You can catch their newsletter and how to sign up in the show notes. Busy week as always, and so a lot of updates to get across here. Yeah, definitely. I think we'll only scratch the surface, but let's kick off with some of the big updates that we have been seeing in the past couple of weeks. So first on my radar is Arbitrum. We touched upon it a bit in our last update episode, uh, basically covering the AIP1 and the initial introduction to the constitution around Arbitrum effectively. So one of the big talking points of AIP1 was that it looked to give Arbitrum Foundation control of around 750 million ARB tokens. So that's worth around $1 billion. So I think a lot of this stems from confusion, to be honest. So these 750 million was outlined in that proposal. That proposal wasn't really a proposal. It was actually just a ratification, so giving some transparency to the community and wasn't really meant to be something that that people could have a a strong opinion and and vote to cancel on. That's my interpretation anyway. And so these tokens were actually meant to be given to the foundation. They didn't uh, allocate to the foundation because they're on the assumption that they would give a bunch to the Dow Treasury and then a portion of those Dow Treasury would be given to the foundation itself. And then those would be used for special grants programs for growing the ecosystem as well as for operational costs of running the foundation to making sure they've got the appropriate structure in place. So understandably, this miscommunication has caused a lot of outrage. A lot of people coming in saying, why have you automatically taken 750 million ARP tokens out of the treasury and you're uh, giving it to this foundation? It's actually not that unheard of to give so much of an allocation. I think this is 7.5% of the total allocation that's going to the foundation. Yeah. I mean, Polygon's like 10%, I think it is. A few others are like 10%. It's actually relatively low compared to the rest of the industry. It's just the way that they did it and the steps they did it. If they'd been really clear from the outset, this is going towards the foundation, this is going to help run the DAO, then I think they wouldn't have had any kickback whatsoever. But because they put it to the community, it gave the community an option to be like, hey, what's going on here? And so obviously that that's kicked off a lot. This definitely shook the DAO ecosystem just a little bit. Quick shout out to BlockWorks Research. They actually addressed this and pointed this out pretty early on and got this ball rolling. I think when it comes to DAOs, like you said, Arbitrum may have been technically correct, right? Maybe this proposal, this uh, these tokens were earmarked from DAO creation. However, in DAOs, you have two courts, right? You have the court of governance and you have the court of public opinion. And that matters so deeply within an internet-based organization. The social fabric of these organizations are very fragile, right? And they they Mm -hmm. also create the base of how you build your community and where you end up going. And, And so it took a while, but we did have but we did have a decent response from Arbitrum. It looks like they ended up creating two new governance proposals. And Lawrence, really quick, what we also saw was 
a community member creating a proposal to return the yep. 700 million ARB tokens to the Dow Treasury. And surprisingly, it got a lot of action. I think the key takeaways here, I don't think it's that much of a deal breaker. It's obviously puts them off to a bit of a rocky start. And I think it lessens to take away from this, particularly from projects that are, are going to have a big DAO from the offset when they launch token is be mm. incredibly clear from the start. The confusion doesn't give a great impression for of Arbitrum Foundation. In the first instance, I'm, I'm sure those guys are incredible, but this wasn't as clear as it could have been. And I think also it's probably best not to dress up a ratification as a proposal. Don't give the false illusion of participation. Otherwise, you open up the opportunity for people to dispute and push back, which is what we've seen here. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely see where that goes. And just like Arbitrum, we've had a very exciting few weeks in the world of Uniswap. And so we're going to cover three main things here. First and foremost, we had Gotlet enter the ring working closely with Uniswap in their new applied research division. And so what Gotlet actually did in the forum, we'll link this in the show notes, I really suggest we go and read through this, is they took a deep look into what is Uniswap's objective function, right? What are the forces driving Uniswap usage and how do we better fine tune all of those variables and pull those levers to maximize the output around the Uniswap objective function. Uh, a few things that really stood out here is they actually looked into everything from trading on Uniswap, volume on Uniswap, financial returns, governance power, net benefits, and, and also provided the community a seven-step process in how they can use this applied research in decision-making. So shout out to Godlet. Super excited to see what else and where else uh, they will drive impact for Uniswap. Uniswap did get a new lead governance facilitator, our friend Aaron. Aaron started last week and immediately started making an impact. So we're looking at a few things here regarding governance updates. We're looking, should we and how do we reconfigure the snapshot proposal threshold? So this obviously is important because we want to try to limit the amount of non-real proposals that come to fruition, but we still want to encourage folks to actually go on and support proposals or post proposals uh, with their uni delegation or tokens. The Uniswap Foundation continues to make updates to the governance process, which is expected and encouraged. Uh, this one around creating a post-BSL cross-chain deployment process and a Uniswap.eth subdomain. So we covered this lightly in our previous episodes, but here now we see it coming to fruition. So remembering the goal here is to have recognized deployments that can be managed through the governance process and better manage a holistic governance process with a new Uniswap subdomain. Last updates just around voting. We have the Gnosis deployment up for a vote right now, sitting at approximately 31 million votes out of 40 million. We also have the Polygon ZK EVM live right now, sitting at around 29 million votes out of 40 million votes. So if you have Uniswap, get out there, cast that vote, keep pushing for a cross-chain future within the ecosystem. Awesome. Lots going on at Uniswap, as always. Never a dull moment. On a slight 
parallel, I guess, to, to Uniswap, we have the very similar SushiSwap. So we have quite an interesting proposal coming through here on SushiSwap side around the treasury diversification. This is looking to diversify the treasury by converting 3 million in Sushi into stable coins across two to three tranches, so as not to hugely impact the token price itself. And this would effectively move the Sushi stablecoin allocation from 10% at present to around 20 to 25%. One of the really interesting things here is that Sushi has seen its treasury half over the last year. And that's gone from 50 million to 26 million. Still a pretty sizable treasury and on par with some of the big ones that we've seen, but, but nonetheless still considerable. And so this can only be part blamed on the Sushi token market value as the i think the price of that's gone from something like dollar and a half a year ago to i think it's like a dollar nine cents at the moment so it's not halved itself but it's not doing as well which definitely has had an impact on the treasury itself and so we're all for diversification i think when you've got huge pots of money like this it needs to be put to put to the best use not necessarily for getting the optimum returns but ensuring stability ensuring that those funds can be used where they're appropriately needed for funding across the organization, operational costs or grants or, or whatever it is that they have in mind. And so I like this proposal on the basis of it being diversification, although I think there are some things that need to be considered carefully at the moment. And so some of the things I think you need to consider are, are what assets you're diversifying with and why. I think stable coins is obviously one good way of diversifying your treasury, but I think that you can also use many other tokens out there to, to diversify effectively and is, is perhaps better in, in many instances because it potentially has appreciation or minimizes risk, particularly if you're using a variety of different stable coins. And so that's one aspect is what you're diversifying with. I think secondly, it's what are the weightings that you're diversifying to? And three, what is the risk posed to the tokens that you're diversifying with, whether on a liquidity or a design standpoint, et cetera? And so I think to really back up this proposal, there needs to be a bit of quantitative research so that the decision can be informed and they have a robust framework for their treasury allocation and management altogether. Yeah, so much going on over in that world of sushi. Did you see the vulnerability in their V3 fork? Ah, uh, Yes, I had. Tell me more, they can. Yes. So it was... Essentially, you know, the LE5 explanation is it was an approval bug within a router contract. However, we had one white hat hacker actually execute on the trade, I think for about 100 ETH. And then our friends in MEV land were able to see that trade and copy trade it within seconds. And mm -hmm. so we had, I, I believe it was about 1800 Ethereum involved in this vulnerability. However, but Jared Gray did is working with Lido on seeing how they can recover some of those some of those funds from that vulnerability. So, I mean, if if you look over the past probably two months, Lawrence, SushiSwap has been nonstop in the spotlight, whether for good or bad. So definitely more to come from them. Yeah, definitely. I know we covered them in our previous episode as well. So uh, let's see how many we can keep them in. <laughs> they're they're our longest running uh repetition here yeah. <laughs> so, so so listen just just some really cool quick updates from maker and this is all around structural aspects 
a CVC, as we've discussed in numerous episodes that, that we've held here, uh, the Constitutional Voter Committee, we see these coming to fruition as well. So we see these being built. We have our first meetings being held by these members. Uh, quick shout out. We saw Flipside Governance enter the ring, joining the Growth CVC, which is a CVC started by our friends at Stable Labs. So Stable Lab, also just an incredible force within the governance space. Some of the most talented folks that we have the chance to work with. On top of that, we have the KISS CVC, and their goal is to satisfy die and maker holders with die holders relying on its key characteristics, right? So again, first principles thinking, how do we take a step back, look at the landscape and improve it? That's all I wanted to cover with Maker, just to get the point across that the structural updates from the endgame are happening, and it looks like they're happening successfully. More to come on Maker as we continue forward. Awesome. Great, great Maker update there, as always. I think one other interesting proposal that has some parallels to what Maker are doing with the endgame plan is the revamp of governance over at Alluvium. And so Alluvium are looking to revamp their, their governance to governance V2, and they've, they've been looking into this for a while now. So I'll, I'll basically give you an overview of what's been going on here. But it's uh, the, the new structure consists of specialized sub-councils and a central council. So to help improve scalability and decentralization and to better put contributors to, to use in their respective areas and have them be subject matter experts within that. The way that it works is there'll be an Illuminati main council, uh, IMC for short, composed of members from four of the sub-councils. These sub-councils are for gaming, marketing, strategy, and community. And in addition to these sub-councils, there'll also be treasury committee and risk management committees who will advise the DAO. And so the way that it works is people will be elected to be part of the sub-council. To become a sub-council member, you need to have at least one staked ILV and you'll get an NFT saying that you're a council member. These council members will then meet twice a month and they will nominate from each council. They'll nominate one representative who will join the IMC, the Illuminati main council, and that'll happen via snapshot vote. And so once again, drawing upon the, what we've chatted about quite a, quite a bit, Cam, is around compensating the people who have these rules within DAOs. And so any council member would get $1,500 per month. And people who are IMC members will receive an additional $1,500 per month for a total of three grand. And so this will happen every three months and it'll be paid out in ILV. And council members will be council members for a term duration of six months. And then they'll go through elections again and people will be put forward and, and voted up into the respective councils based off of the back of their performance or their applications to become a council member. Quite exciting, I think, anyway. Whether it's going to be more effective, we're not sure. We've obviously not seen the impact of the changes over at Maker and, and sort of breaking down, or this is still slightly different. So I think this is a really interesting other case study in governance to keep an eye on within the space. Spot on. I, I love to look at these structural changes within governance almost as case studies. So anybody who wants to learn more about the inner workings of governance, they want to see how these changes actually progress. Here's just a wonderful example. Again, very similar to that legacy maker DAO structure. 
and just a lot going on on that front. Cool. And closing us off today is an interesting one from Yearn Finance and their proposal to launch YETH. So YETH would be a permissionless and self-governing basket of ETH liquid staking tokens, effectively diversifying the risk associated with a particular LSD, liquid staking derivative, and having them all in one bundle and having that represented by YETH. So effectively how it would work would users would deposit an LSD uh, token and it would allow them to mint a YETH and effectively the YETH enables the reclaiming the deposited amount and when you stake it, it allows you to earn the associated proof of stake rewards from Ethereum and it also gives you the benefit of diversifying your risk and reward profile because many of these different LSDs have different returns on them as well as different risks associated with each of their, their products. So LSD space is growing a lot. We're seeing a lot of competitors here. I quite like this play from Young Finance to be able to give people an option to have a, a safer LSD to interact with and also one that they can sort of reap the average rewards across all of these different protocols. How does it work? Users deposit LSD or ETH into the LSD ETH or ETH itself into the pool and receive YETH. Users can then burn the YETH to receive the LSDs. So vanilla YETH doesn't earn yield, but once you stake it, you can earn the compounded YETH um, rewards according to the earnings of the underlying LSDs and other protocol rewards. And so the main benefits here are I can hold YETH to potentially get a better risk-adjusted yield than any other single individual LSD could provide me. And also as a DeFi protocol, I can accept YETH as collateral and have greater guarantees around its value compared to any single LSD token and have that diversification of risk once again. This is a great example of a DAO identifying a gap in a marketplace and then trying to fill that gap. So with different eight, with different returns on each LSD, different risk profiles with each LSD, by basketing these together, you actually mitigate that risk. Pretty good sentiment across the forum. I think like everything Yearn tends to be very technical and very thorough within their governance process and protocol implementations. I think that's a wrap. Thanks, Cam. It's been a pleasure as always, and I'll speak to you soon. Exciting two weeks here in the DAO space, especially among some of these larger DeFi platforms. So keeping up with the latest and greatest on these platforms with all their governance activity, super important. You can catch these episodes every two weeks where we'll highlight some of the main things that have occurred. Thank you to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode.